Years ago, I had the amazing privilege to attend a conference in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm not going to go into all the details how God miraculously provided for me to go there. I mean, it was literally a miracle. And I knew that when God does that kind of stuff, that God is going to do something significant in your life if he moves you to go to a place where you had no... You know, I, I didn't even know I was going there until Friday and the conference started on Monday. How many know that's already... You can already begin to see it's a bit of a miracle. I get a phone call and uh, this person says, how would you like to go to and everything is paid for, all you just need to do is show up at the airport. And that's exactly what happened. And I went to Atlanta, Georgia, and there were 44,000 ministers in the Georgia Dome at a conference. And could you imagine 44,000 ministers worshiping God together? How electric, how dynamic. And people have been praying for a year for that event, and there were hundreds of people praying every day, fasting and praying. And the Spirit of God came down in a very supernatural way. But while we were there, John Maxwell, and many of you know who he is, this was in 1996, so John was still pastoring in San Diego, and he was one of the keynote speakers, and he shared a message that really spoke into my spirit, and it went, and he shared the essence. I'm going to just give you the essence of what he said. In that message, he said that there are 400 people mentioned in the Bible who had some capacity of leadership, but only 80 of them finished well. What that means is that only one out of five really served God and finished well in their lives. The rest were sidetracked from God's purposes in their lives, and some even made shipwreck of their faith. Maybe you're new to the Christian journey, or you've been a Christian a long time, but the question that comes to each of us will be not how we began the race, but how well did we finish the course that God laid out before us? How can we faithfully do what God is calling us to do? Do you know success is not measured by how well we start, but really by how well we finish? You know, true biblical success is being faithful to what God has called us to do. How many here say, Pastor, I want to finish well? I want to really finish well. I want to run well. I want to finish well. I want, to, I want to complete the course. As a matter of fact, Paul, at the end of his life, writes these words to his mentoree, his, his, uh, probably his son in the faith, Timothy. He says this to Timothy. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. In other words, Paul is now knowing he's about to die. And he writes to Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What a great statement. Paul ran well. You know, we know from experience that starting things usually occur in the midst of great enthusiasm. Isn't that right? You know, when we're motivated, we get started, it's great, but then we get into the project and eventually we start petering out. We run out of steam. We run out of gas. There's opposition. There's challenges. There's difficulties. There's all kinds of problems. Oftentimes the task seems unrelenting and we can easily grow weary in well-doing. And what do we want to do then? We want to quit. We want to give up. Fulfilling what we started seems tedious and more often difficult than when we first imagined. How can we finish well? How can we fulfill what God has called us to do? There are so many temptations to distract or detour us from a faithful life. You know, what may be true of us as individuals is also true for us as a family, a church family. 
We've also seen amazing things happen through the course of the life of this congregation. I've had the privilege to be a part of this church family for almost 27 years of its over 30 years of existence. It's not quite 31 years old. I was called here in the fall of 1984 when a handful of people filled with vision to reach our city gathered with very few assets. I can say that's true. But with the greatest resource of all, trust in a loving God, in an all-powerful God. Do you know we made some amazing steps of faith? Can you imagine 30 people raising $15,000 in 30 days, and that was 30 years ago? Can you imagine? We had to secure this lease facility, and what happened next was so amazing. The church grew from 30 people to 250 people in 18 months. How many think that's pretty amazing? I mean, you know, there was a day that I, I stood there to preach and I thought, I feel like I'm a stranger in my own congregation. It was happening so dramatically, so quickly. Do you know, we, out, we, we, we actually had to go to um, multiple services. We had two morning services and then we also had an evening service. You know, we've always, it's amazing, we're right back to three Sunday services. But back in those days, I preached two different sermons, one on the morning and then the different one on Sunday night. We outgrew that facility. We were forced to lease some of the larger hotel space in our city. We next purchased this property and built a large portion of this facility at that time, the cost being about $1.3 million, and we had to take out a three-quarter of a million-dollar mortgage. And then the mortgage got paid off. The fellowship hall was built, but then we had to bring water from this little kitchen area over here all the way down to the fellowship hall. We hadn't really planned on how the water was to go in there, so two more expansions became reality. You know, we added to our education space. We added a phenomenal kitchen to this church. And then we paved the parking lot. Do you know the parking lot alone cost a million dollars? It was amazing. We had to go underground and trench the whole thing and build a lagoon. And, you know, and I want to just say that all of those things got done over the years and all of those things are paid for. That's, a, that's an exciting thing. And then in 2013, we made a significant decision. We went out and purchased 133 acres. In the end of last year, 2014, guess what happened? The entire project was paid for. Praise God. Yes. But in 2013, we also realized we were going to be here for a while because that's a pretty big project and we needed more educational space and the children's area was overgrown and we couldn't do what we wanted to do about you know, adult education. And so we added these three modular spaces. But you know, we had all these regulations and fire code things and we finally moved them in. We built this huge hallway, which you saw the entire members there gathered in the hallway. That's amazing how large that really was. I think when people walked in there and saw the scope and size of what we added to the church, they were amazed by it. You know, you can throw numbers out, but until you experience it, you don't get it. And so we added all of this, and that's what our new fiscal uh, project is this year that we're actually uh, going to pay off those modular units. Now, when I think back to the challenge of trying to purchase this property in 1989 with no assets, how many know that was probably a huge challenge? It really was. I mean, you've got to buy property, then you've got to build on the property. That's a big step, folks. 
And when we were in that process, the Spirit of God was encouraging me as a pastor with, you know, Scripture verses. How many, you know, you get kind of encouraged by God's Word. I, I really do get a lot of encouragement through the Scriptures. And so I was reading through the book of Joshua, and I felt God just assuring me that we were going to acquire the land, and secondly, that we would move forward step by step. Do you know the Israelites did not possess the land all in one shot? They kind of did it in increments. How many realize that? They came into the land, and everywhere your, place, your foot would step, the Bible says, right, to Joshua, God spoke to him. He says, everywhere your foot steps, where the people of God step, you will possess. And so there was a sense that you had to walk into the promises of God. You had to do this step by step. You had to do this incrementally. And so today now, we're making another step. And then the step after this one is what? Raising money to build a new facility. So we're moving forward, folks. And so we've entitled this uh, fiscal campaign this year, this uh, asset, this addition, uh, E Squared. It's kind of a creative little title. It stands for Empowered and Equipped. And it's taken from the book of Acts where 120 people who had previously been equipped by Jesus were now empowered by him in the upper room. And if you go outside into the foyer today, you're going to notice a new graphic. See, for over a year, we had this beautiful graphic of this tree with all these leaves. And every time, you know, we, we raised so much money, you know, we, we bought the land at 7,000 an acre, which was really phenomenal. So every leaf represented one acre. And every time 7,000 was given to that project, we put a leaf up. And Kelly, I love you, but you know, he thought it was a piece of art out there. He didn't know that this was part of our discussion or our, our envisioning or our, our communication of how our fundraising was going. So I had to explain it to him. There's a legend here, and this is how it works. So Kelly, I'm giving you a head start today. You can go out there today, and there's this beautiful little house. The little graphic with the little lines is because they're in a room, and there's 120 little people there. And if you count them, there's 120 of them, believe me. And in the 120, every time we raise $3,500, that's only half the amount, we end up bringing one of those little people to life. And it goes from being a little gray person to a little green person. Isn't that great? Yeah, so every month you'll watch and you'll walk over there and they'll put up more green people up on the wall and eventually the whole house will be empowered and equipped. And that means that all of what we've just added will all be, all of the financial elements will be reduced. Now, I, you know, so I just did a little graphic here, 120 people. If you, um, at a cost of $3,500, you times them together and it comes out to $420,000. So already... You know, I like this. There's already four green people standing on that house. So we've already raised, what's that? 14,000 of the 420 is already paid. Okay, now, let me just say this. I want you to prayerfully consider on top of what you're giving. You know, what some people do, they take away from what they're currently giving and move it to the land thing. Don't do that. I'll tell you why, because this church has a huge operating cost. And if you do that, the church will suffer. So we don't want you to do that. We're asking you to prayerfully consider what can you do on top of how you normally give. Does everybody follow that? There's a little card. It came to you this morning. The ushers gave it to you. Take it home. Pray over it, whatever. Or if you can decide right away, write something out, put it in. You have the space of the year here to give towards it. All right? You can give it monthly or however you're going to do it. So I've said all of that. Now to encourage you. Someone last month is so motivated about our future that they donated to the church. I don't know who this individual is, but they gave $100,000 for the new facility. 
So I'm just letting you know, God is working in our midst, folks. And he's encouraging us to keep moving forward. Amen? We have a future. You know, when I went to the board a while ago and I said, we should you know, get property, and some of them agreed with me, and then eventually they all agreed with me. You know, I was thinking 30 or 40 acres. Well, it took a while. It took six years for us all to get into an agreement, all right? But, you know, we tried other things, and eventually we all came to the same place, and the membership came there too. But let me just encourage us. Once we decided to do that, it was amazing what happened. God gave us not 30 or 40 acres. He gave us 133 acres. You know what it said to me? God has a bigger plan than we know. You know, sometimes our plans are too small. I mean, that's true. So God has something in his mind, and I want to just follow God. So let's take a look here um, at this text this morning in Joshua chapter 10, because I want to talk about this morning how to finish well. See, I've, I've kind of outlined a step that we're in as a church family together, but I want to just talk about all of our lives, not only collectively, but also individually, that we will all finish well, right? That we can stand at the finish line one day with our hands up and as people cross the finishing line that maybe have run a little bit slower than we have, we can high-five them as they cross the finish line, right? We want everyone to make it. Maybe some of us have to run a little slower to bring some along. You know, we're dragging them along with us because we want everyone to finish well. And I pray this morning you will finish well. In Joshua chapter 10, we find the Israelites had entered into an alliance with the Gibeonites in Joshua chapter 9 without any sort of prayer, and it caused a lot of grief to them. But because they made this commitment, they honored their commitment. How many know God always honors our commitments when we keep our commitments? And so they did. And so the Gibeonites now, who were Canaanites, you know, had all of their neighbors rise against them and attack them. And how many know that this is true when you're a brand new Christian? So often you become a Christian and the people you formerly associated with sometimes turn against you and you go, what's wrong with these people? I just became a Christian. And all of a sudden you have this hostility and opposition against you. And so the people of God, the Israelites, rallied to come and save their city. And the Bible says they marched all night. How many know you might be tired after a full night's march? And then you've got to fight a battle the next day. And that's exactly what happens in these chapters. I'm kind of bringing us up to speed of what's happening here. So we discover when we actively obey God, we have victories. But when we have victories, it also suggests that we have battles. How many know you don't have victories without battles? How many go, that's kind of logical, Pastor? You know, how many here, we sure like to be on the victory side of things, but we sure don't want to be on the battle side of things? Isn't that true? You know, it's like everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants to be in the place where they need the miracle. You know, I'd like to watch somebody else have a miracle, right? You know, I don't want to have to experience the, the difficulty and the distress, you know, to be in that place where I need it. But how many know that until you personally experience things and you're only observing it, it never affects you the same way? How many here you can honestly say in my life, I've experienced miracles in my life? I have. And I'll tell you, before you get to the miracle place, you're in some pretty tight, difficult, challenging experiences in life. And when you have that miracle, it affects you forever. You never forget those moments. They're like milestones in your life. 
Well, you know, here's a, here's a miracle that happened to the ministry of Jesus. Remember when the 5,000 were sitting there, just men plus women and children, 5,000 men. Jesus said, you know, we ought to feed these people. There's nobody, there's no place nearby. Let's feed them. No, don't you love Jesus? Hey, we got a problem here. Let's take care of it. And, and when it says here, uh, when Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? I love Jesus. He raises the problem. But I like the next verse. It's even better. He asked this only to test him. In other words, it says, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Isn't that neat? That often in our lives, you know, you and I are like Philip. You know, we're challenged by our circumstances, but Jesus already knows what he's going to do. Sometimes we question why is God letting this happen in my life? Why does God allow this crisis in my life? Have, how many have ever asked that question? You know, why, 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 why? And I want to just suggest the thought that sometimes these things are tests. As a matter of fact, Genesis 22, 1 says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Aren't you glad he wrote that before the story begins to unpack? Because, you know, as I was listening to one uh, scholar talk about this text, he said, if God hadn't written this, if it hadn't been stated this way, and the Bible just kind of said that, you know, God spoke to Abraham and said, take up your son to sacrifice him, where would our sympathies lie? With the son. But because we have this little preference that God is testing Abraham, where does our sympathy now lie? With Abraham, thank you very much. And how many here have had experiences in your life where you have been tested? Absolutely. And I want to just say to you, you may be in that place today. You may be in that place of testing today. And I want you to know that God is watching how you and I respond to the place of testing. And that's why it's so important that you and I do well in that time of testing, that you and I respond in the right way in a time of testing. Because we read a little later on in the story of Abraham that God said, okay, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Oh, sorry. He goes on, do not lay hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. In other words, God says, I know you have the right priority. Now, I gotta ask the question, doesn't God already know that? Well, of course he does. But did Abraham know that? No, he didn't. And I am convinced that God allows things to come into our lives so that you and I not only are tested, but you and I are allowed to see what's really within us. And isn't it, isn't it amazing? We can either fail the test or pass the test. And there is something exciting about passing tests. You know, Rachel came home. I'm, I can tell the story because it's a good story. She came home the other day and she had a test. And she was really apprehensive about this exam. She's in college. So she said, she's walking out the door. She said, Dad, the last time I had this class and I had this test, I thought I was going to get 100 and I didn't do so good. And I'm really apprehensive because today I don't feel as confident. Would you pray with me? So we prayed. I mean, she'd been studying. We prayed and she had a little anxiety, actually had a lot of anxiety. She went and took the test. So when I came home uh, from work, I saw the smiling face and I heard she come running up to me and she said, Dad! I said, what, Rachel? I got a hundred! 
Whoa, high five. Man, she was excited. Why? Because she passed the test, but not only passed the test, she excelled when she thought she wouldn't. How many think it's exciting when we're tested in life and we do the right thing and we see God's blessing in our life? Isn't that exciting? Well, of course it is. Okay. Now, as we're about to see here in our text in chapter 10, the Israelites are responding to the crisis in the life of the Gibeonites. We could preach on you know, the need to help people in testing, right? We shouldn't just stand by and watch them suffer. No, we need to help them. We can see that one victory doesn't mean we win the battle. How many here realize that in, in the Christian life there's more than one battle? Anybody figured that out? You go, man, I just got over this thing and now I'm headed into the next thing, you know? So we're, we recognize we have to keep our guard up because there's gonna be more than one conflict. So in the text, as I've already said, Israel had marched all day and night and Joshua had prayed. This is amazing to me. All night march, fought all day long and what does Joshua do? Lord, could you please keep the sun up and let not the moon come up? And he made those guys fight all night long. <laughs> How many go, I don't like that leader. He's just really pushing us right over the edge. I mean, isn't that what it says here? Read it. You can read, read the story when you get home, chapter 10. But you know what? The job wasn't finished. So in chapter 10, verse 19, this is the beginning of our text. It says, but don't stop. They had marched back to their encampment. And I jokingly said to the guys this morning as we were praying, I said, can you imagine, you know, marching all night, fighting all day, fighting all, all night, which was now a new day because the sun had stood there, and now you march back to your camp. How many say I'm putting my feet up and I'm taking a siesta? I've had it. I am like beat up and worn out. And what does Joshua say to these guys in verse 19? But don't stop, he says. Pursue your enemies. Attack them from the rear. Don't let them reach their cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hands. And so from our text, we're going to briefly look at three elements that will help us to finish well. Do you know there's a, you know, the first element is simply continuing to do God's will. In other words, continue to do the right thing. Continue to do good. You know, we can't allow victories and blessings or challenges and defeats to keep us from advancing in our Christian walk. Like Joshua, we need to recognize that one victorious battle doesn't end the war. You may be wondering, who or who what are our enemies? Well, in the Old Testament, we know it was actual people, right? They were fighting, you know, flesh and blood people. But in this New Testament, and we have the spiritualization of all these battles. Who is our enemy? Well, Satan, the devil, right? And we can say uh, that our enemy is anything that would keep us from appropriating the promises of God for our lives. Wouldn't that be our enemies? There can be all kinds of enemies. You know, sometimes their enemies is the temptations that come our way. Sometimes the enemy is a besetting sin in our life. We could go on and on. Uh, Sometimes we allow, you know, condemnation and guilt to rob us. These are enemies. God, we need to realize, is an amazing person. If we confess our sins, what does the Bible say will happen? He'll forgive us and cleanse us. He's the God of the second chance. We heard that last week. Remember Jonah? God called him. He went the other way. I think there was a lot of reasons why he went the other way, you know. But let me just say this. When God helped him realize he made a mistake, God gave him another opportunity. He's the God of the second chances. For others, it can be past victories. You know, some people are living on yesterday. 
I can remember back when God did this. I can remember back when God did that. But you know what? What is God doing in the now? You know, I've heard people share their testimony and it sounds like it happened 20 years ago because that's when God last moved in their life. Well, that's not healthy, is it? I don't think so. I think that's dangerous. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul challenges us in Philippians. He says, brothers, do not con- I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward or toward what is ahead. In other words, you know what? I can't live on yesterday. As good as yesterday was, as good as all the blessings were, I can't live on what happened yesterday. I'm living in the now. I'm living what God is about to do. We need to be moving forward, right? That's what the scriptures say here. Um, Then we, you know, I think there's still things God wants to do through us. Do you think God's done with you? If you're still breathing down here, God has something for you to do. That's my, that's my philosophy. If he's done with you, he takes you home, right? In every life, I think there are besetting sins that need to be conquered. Often there are unresolved issues that keep people from moving forward. You know, hurts and pains that come as a result of sin or people who have sinned against us. I mean, that happens all the time. Do you know in this life there's going to be a lot of disappointment? Can you just write that down? In this life, there will be disappointment. You need to accept that. I think when we have an unhealthy expectation of life, we're always disappointed. I'm going, no, that's the way life is. I don't expect justice. I don't always expect it to be fair. I, I, I don't always expect it to be easy. I don't always expect this or that. I, I expect that I'm gonna have to grow. I'm gonna have to trust. I'm gonna have to believe. I'm gonna have to you know, exercise faith. I'm gonna have to move forward. And I think we all have to do that. Do you know forgiveness is such a powerful expression that that releases the person who has been hurt? When you forgive the other person, you're released to move forward. You know, after the battle, it says the Israelites arrived back at camp to regroup in verse 15. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. As I've already said, they were battle-weary and worn. They had won the initial contest. You know, Gilgal was the place where they had consecrated their lives. It was the starting point of their mission. You know, it's so easy to remain camped at the beginning point. How easy is it to stay at a primary level in the journey? We love being forgiven. We love being blessed by God. We love being ministered to. But do we want to move forward? Do we want to be the ones that actually bring the blessing to other people? Joshua would not let them enjoy the spoils of that victory until they had consolidated that victory. They needed to completely destroy the enemy. So we need to learn how to seize the moments. And there comes moments in the Christian life where God is moving in a special way. We need to embrace what he's doing. There's a spiritual momentum. That's what's happening in our church right now. Do you realize people are getting saved every single week in this church? Right now, God is moving supernaturally. I'm telling you, things are happening. I'm just shaking my head. I'm going, God, you are doing this. This is a spiritual work. I'm acknowledging it's not something we have done. It's something you are doing. And we want to cooperate with what God is now doing in our midst. Do you know one of the things that fascinates me about history is that if we don't learn from past mistakes, we tend to make the same mistakes. How many know that's true? That's why the Bible is such an appropriate and relevant book. We can learn so much from other people. Do you know one of the costly mistakes that Hitler made in World War II was that he ordered a halt 
to all of his forces so that they could reinforce their armies because they had kind of spread themselves out as they were moving across Europe, driving the allies right to the beaches, right to Dunkirk, and he stopped. If he had continued on, he could have destroyed the whole allied army that was the professional army. But what did he do? He stopped, and what happened? Churchill gets on the phone, he says, hey, every boat that can float, send them across the channel. Did he not do that? And I tell you, they sent everything they could get their hands on across the channel to drag their army, licking their wounds, back to England. But because of that, that army went back to fight Hitler and was actually probably the main cause of his defeat. You know, we need to realize that if we don't, uh, sorry, if we don't master our sins, our sins will master us. Do you know that's true? It's getting quiet in here now. That's what happened to Cain. Remember in Genesis chapter four? Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must what? You must master it. You must deal with it. You must address it in your life. Otherwise, it's gonna come back and get you. So what are some of the enemies that are keeping us from enjoying God's victory and blessing in our life? Well, I've listed a few unforgiveness, unbelief, fear, anger, lust, greed, wrong priorities. It's never too late to take inventory, address it, and move forward. Amen? Hey, don't live in defeat. I don't think that's a good place to be camped. Move on. Let me move on to the second element. The first one, as I've already pointed out, is continue to do God's will. The second one is to experience the feel of victory. Do you know, once you get a little taste of the good life, you're messed up for the wrong life. You really are, you know. Once you get excited about the things of God and you start cooperating and participating with God, you go, this is so much fun, this is a blast, this is great. You know, I want to be a part of what God is doing. So what, is, what happens is they conquer these five kings, they throw them in a cave, they run off, and then they come back to the cave. Joshua says, hey, roll the cave away. Verse 22, he says, open the mouth of the cave, bring out those five kings to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jermoth, Lachish, and Eglon. And when they brought these kings out of Joshua to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders and who had come with him, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. And so they came forward and they placed their feet on their necks. Now, how many know when you do that, what are you basically saying? That that person is in subjection to you. Isn't that true? He wanted them to feel the victory. You know, it's one thing to fight a battle. It's another thing to feel the victory. Come on, you guys. Put your feet on the neck of these kings. What do you think that did for these guys? It encouraged them. They said, look, these guys were the people we were in conflict with. These were these mighty warriors. Now they're defeated. They're at our feet. They're in subjection to us. You know, we need to experience the defeat of the sin issues in our lives. We need to understand and experience that we have authority and power over our enemies. Do you realize that? Do you know the weakest Christian causes fear and trembling in the heart of demons? You go, why is that, Pastor? Because Christ is in us. You see, we're focused on how terrifying they are when we should be looking at who dwells within us. 
Greater is he that is in you and me than he that is in the world. Right? Listen to what happened. Jesus sends out his disciples. He says to them, hey, you guys, send 72 of them. He sent them to every town and place where he was about to go, and he told them, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And the 72 returned. I jumped a few verses. With joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Do you know the demons will submit to you if you're walking in the name of the Lord? Is that powerful? I think we've got to get a hold of this stuff. You know, don't be afraid. You say, well, sometimes I get attacked, Pastor. I feel fear. I've had those moments. You know what I say? In the name of Jesus, through the blood and the authority of what Christ has done on the cross, be gone. And you know what? They're gone. They can't handle that. You and I need to know our authority in Christ. Jesus said, listen, he said, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing, nothing, nothing will harm you. Is that good? I think we ought to believe this, you know. However, he says, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Jesus gave him words of encouragement, empowerment, but also he said, hey, don't focus on that stuff. We have a job to do, the power to do it, but not to get so caught up in the excitement that we lose perspective of what's happening. Joshua did the same thing to his people. He said, bring out those kings, put, you know, and then he says in verse 25, I love this, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be strong and courageous. Don't you think it's ironic that God spoke to Joshua, be strong and courageous? Did Joshua get the message? He must have because he's telling his own people. He says, hey, be strong and courageous. How many here you don't feel strong and courageous? You just don't feel it. It's okay, you can admit it. You don't feel strong and courageous. But I'm telling you this morning, if Christ be in you, if you are walking with Christ, you are strong. Be strong in the Lord. Not, not in yourself. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your weaknesses. Stop looking, you know, at your circumstances. Stop looking at your difficulties. Start looking at Christ. Start looking at how great he is, how powerful he is, and where is he living? In us. He's living in us. We need to be encouraged by that. Well, let me move on to the final element. And it's simply being in community. If we're going to finish well, we can't do it alone. We're not going to do it in isolation. You know, I've discovered one thing. The people who allow isolation to come into their life are always the people who live in defeat. That's Satan's strategy, call and defeat. You know, push people out, leave them isolated, defeat them. We need each other to encourage and support one another as there are different seasons in our lives. You know, sometimes, you know, we are on top of it. Sometimes we're excited. Sometimes, you know, life couldn't be better. We feel strong in the Lord. We're winning victories and battles. And then there's another season that comes along and it feels like, you know, nothing is working right and we're in despair and discouragement and defeat. And how many know that both of those seasons are part of the Christian life? And we need people to gather around us in some of those more challenging seasons and to say, hang in there. We're with you. We're praying with you. We're praying for you. Keep running. 
Because you know what? There's a new breath of God coming, a new second wind coming into your, into your life. That's encouraging, and you keep running, and boom, it comes. Listen to what it says here. After each battle, now they went on and fought a whole bunch of battles. You'll read that. And then in verse 43, it repeats, verse 15. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. The Greek mathematician Artemides once said, give me a place to stand and I will move the earth. It's amazing what God can do with a life completely devoted to him. If we find our place to stand is Christ and with his people, we will impact and influence not only our region, but our entire world. When we flow from the place of empowerment, we're more apt to experience victories in our lives. Gilgal was a place where Israel started and finished her campaigns. Do you know Gilgal? You know what that's all about? Gilgal has a special meaning. You know what it is? This was the place that they rolled away their reproach from slavery. This was the place where they renewed their covenant with God. This was the place where they were circumcised because they hadn't been in the wilderness. It was there that it said that the reproach of Egypt was rolled away. It was there that Israel was free from her slavery mentality. It was at Gilgal that Israel was liberated to move forward in order to fulfill God's promises for her as a nation. Do you know what our Gilgal is? It's the cross of Calvary. That's our Gilgal. It's there that the reproach of our sin was rolled away. It's the place where you and I are empowered to move forward. It's that place of forgiveness and love, that place where Jesus demonstrated total obedience that we can have victory over our sins and yield ourselves to God. It's at the cross where we're cleansed and freed to forgive others and to address the issues in our soul. You know, many scholars believe that the book of Joshua was written during the exile, which was hundreds of years later, okay? They wrote back about these events in the book of Joshua. Why? Because he wanted to speak to a defeated and exiled people that if they obey God, victory was right around the corner. Isn't that amazing? If we're willingly submit ourselves to God, we will defeat the enemy and in doing so, we will finish well. I want to just close with a story. I love this story. I've probably told it before. You know, in 1968, the Olympics were held in Mexico City. You know, Mexico City is pretty high up. It's not on the sea level. So when you're in a high up elevation, it's a lot more challenging to participate in athletics, isn't it? And during the Olympics there, one of the marathon runners fell during the race and was actually deeply injured. He could have easily quit. I mean, he injured his leg so severely that for him to continue running was done in pain, grimace, hobble. He wasn't going to win the race after this fall. And he knew that. But he decided to keep running anyways. This young man by the name of Stephen Akwari, who was from Tanzania, finished the race one hour after the winner had finished the race. Most of the people in the stands had gone home. There was a few people left. And then all of a sudden, as these spectators were about to leave, they saw the lights, you know, and the sirens. This was the last runner, and he was hobbling into the stadium. The people could see that he was in tremendous pain. He had bandages around his legs. He was hobbling, and they stood, and they clapped, and they applauded. And after crossing the finishing line, he slowly walked off the field. He didn't look at the spectators, 
Later, someone came and interviewed him and said to him, knowing that you had no chance to meddle, why, and having this kind of an injury, why didn't you quit? And I love his response. He said, my country didn't send me 7,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. And folks, Jesus not only calls us into this amazing life. And I believe that he's going to help us finish it. Because it says in Philippians, he who begun a good work will complete it. But the issue today is not about our salvation, it's about how are we going to finish. And you know, a lot of Christians don't finish well. They kind of limp out. They finish so poorly. You know, I don't want that to be true of our church. I don't want that to be true about me. I don't want it to be true about you. I want us to finish well. So let's stand this morning. How many here say, Pastor, I want to finish well. Is that you this morning? I want to, I want to run well. I want to finish well. I want to make a difference. We are making a difference, by the way, in our world. I'll tell you that right now. We are. But i got to take one more story, and then I'll let you go. It's really quick. I don't know which Olympics it was, but I was watching one, and I don't know who this person was, but how many kind of enjoy watching the Olympics? I'm, I'm extremely competitive. Does anybody know that? Some of you know that. I am extremely competitive. I have actually gotten better as I've gotten older. I'm, I can lose. But I really like winning. I'll be honest with you. I like to win. So I'll give it everything I've got. And I was watching this race, and I think it was the 1,500 meters. So there's about four times around a track or whatever. And the world record holder was in this race. And he was running with the pack. And of course, you always have, you know, the announcers kind of make the race too. Isn't that true? I mean, if you're just sitting and not hearing anything, you don't quite get the same sense. But they're kind of describing who the runners are and which countries they're from and who's done what. And, and they're describing the race and the strategies in the race. And anybody enjoy this kind of stuff? I kind of get into it. I'm listening, you know, and they've got me. I'm hooked. I'm watching this thing. And this guy is running, and, you know, they, they, now they have it on TV where they have a little line, and they can show you if you're at a world record pace. Remember, isn't that kind of neat? Now, the guy that's running doesn't see that line. I just want you to know that's for the viewers. So he has no idea. Now, they may get somebody to stand out there with a little chart after so many lengths or laps. Were they giving them the, this is where you're at, you know, and they know how fast they're running. And this guy was running the record... And all of a sudden, he starts to break away. And you know they have the bell lap. The little bell is rung. That's the last lap. And he took off. And the announcers are going, he's gone. He's, he's already ahead of the record rate. Okay, you follow this? The line, he's ahead of it. And he's pulling away from the pack. But he starts when the bell rings. I mean, how many know that's, he's got to do another lap. And he's doing it at a record rate. And these guys are commenting. Everyone's commenting. He's, he's destroying the race. He's never going to be able to keep this up. He's not going to be able to finish. He's not going to be able to win this race. But the more he's running, the further he's pulling away from the pack. Now he's only got about a half a lap to go. And no kidding, now he's, he's like a quarter of a lap ahead of the next guy. And the announcers are going crazy because he's, he's actually picking up speed. 
This is amazing. He's literally the, the record. The second guy is close to the record, but the record holder, he's so far ahead, and he's actually running at a faster clip that by the time he's got about 100 meters to go, the, the little, or 100, you know, not very far to go, he's shattering the world record. He's picking up speed. The announcers are screaming. You know, they're so into it. And I'm emotional by this time. I'm crying. I don't even know this guy. It's so moving, you know. And when he wins the race, I'm cheering, and I'm in the living room by myself, cheering away, crying, you know. You know? And the Holy Spirit comes down. You know, God is amazing. He can talk to you in those moments. And, as I'm, I, and the Spirit of God is over me, and I said, God, that's how I want to finish. That's how I want to finish. Not just crawling over the finish line, you know. I want to shatter. I want to win. I want to run well. How about you? Father, you're speaking to our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that we will run so well. That we will shatter our own expectation because of your amazing grace and spirit working within our souls. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. I pray today for those that may have not even started the race. I pray right now that they would cry out to you, God, say, oh, God, forgive me. I need Jesus. The one we sang about this morning, the one who has power in his life, we must be saved, but at the name of Jesus. I pray today that we would cry out to you and recognize this cannot be done in human ability and strength, but it can only be done as we surrender to you, Lord, and begin to walk in obedience to you that we can run this amazing Christian race and run it well and finish well. We thank you, Lord, for that grace, and we open up our hearts to you today. Lord, may a second wind catch our souls today, and may we begin to pick up the pace of God and begin to run like we've never run before, shattering all of our own expectations in Jesus' name. Amen.